Welcome to episode 33 by Fika with Rice. In this episode, I pick the brains of Mary Andrew, an artist and a New York Times bestselling author that went viral on Instagram. We hear about her inspirational work, some of which has gained international recognition for its depth and lightheartedness. Today's episode is filled with a really enlightening look on art, meaningful stories, and positivity. I miss the darkness we might be experiencing in life. This is Mary's story. Let's go. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm excited to have you on the show. You're a New York Times bestselling author, illustrator, cartoonist, and you build something unique that not many have done by uploading your illustrations to Instagram many, many years ago. And now you have a following over like a million, at least last time I checked. Um, <laughs> And I wanted to start this episode with some rapid fire questions. It has become a new tradition here, Fika with Rice, and our audience, they love it. It goes like this. Um, I'll make a statement and then you'll finish the sentence. Oh, Does that make sense? Fun. Yes, yes. Okay, so if I was 20 years old today, I would do... Oh, gosh. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, What would I be doing in my day or in my life? Yeah, with your life or whatever, whatever that resonates with you. Like being confused, being confused. (laughs) Okay. The biggest mistake I made when I was young was? Oh, thinking that there was something wrong with me. When I grew up, my biggest dream was? To change the world. Where did you grow up, uh, Marie? uh, Seattle. In Seattle? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, last time I, I've been to Seattle once, uh, one of my biggest uh, virtual mentors is Bruce Lee. And, <laughs> I, and I went to his, um, his graveyard and where him and his son yes. is resting. Yes. Very beautiful place. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, it is. The best advice I received was? Love all, serve all. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I wished I knew when I started to write. Oh, gosh. Um, You can't force creativity. It's a gift that happens to you. You can't make it happen. That's interesting. So I talk to a lot of productive people and they Uh say the opposite. They're like, you need to force creativity (laughs) from, I don't know, 6 a.m. to noon. I know. I've done both. I've done both methods. And this is the method that works for me is is not forcing it. It's a living, it's a living thing. Okay. I guess that's a more like sane way to embrace it, so to speak, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a little more relaxed at least. Yeah. Okay. My advice to all 18-year-olds out there is? Mm, follow your life. Don't force your life to follow you. you. Don't. There's nothing you have to do by a certain age at all. Follow the the shape of your life and the way and the path of your life instead of carving out the life and making your life follow the path. Okay, so, that's really you. deep. That's super deep. Uh, I'm 18 years old. Uh-huh. Living yeah. in Seattle. I don't know yeah. what I'm doing with life. Okay. Yes. What does that mean to me exactly? Uh, so so follow okay, okay, practical things like follow your interests. Don't like okay. don't say I should be this. So I'm going to force my interests to be this. Like when I wanted to be a lawyer. And so I was like forcing my interests. I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be interested in this. I'm going to take these classes. I'm only going to do these things that will make me a lawyer instead of following my, my real interests, which were not 
not anything like that. I wasn't following the lead of my thoughts and feelings. I was, I was trying to make my life something that it didn't want to be. It makes sense. I work with a lot of young people, uh, university students and high school students, and they're taught and instructed by, you know, professors or family members that, oh, you need to take violin classes because that's going to look good on your CV. You need to take these extra classes. Uh, Don't put this on your, like, don't do that as an extracurricular activities because you're going to be a lawyer anyway, right? So, yeah, I, I resonate a lot with that, you know. I think a lot of adults should take that that advice too, not only 18 year olds, you know. Yeah, well, I I keep I need to keep reminding myself because it's always an evolution. You're always like looking to the next step. So yeah. good to good to remember what your what your your soul is really wanting to do. It is true. Okay. My advice to all the 30-year-olds out there. <laughs> oh, I should take this. Um, take care of yourself really well. What does that mean exactly? I'm 30 years old. I'm living in Brooklyn. I'm working a lot. Yes. Okay. Yes. Living life. Okay. I'm going to rephrase it. Treat yourself really well. And that doesn't mean, I think, you know, there's this like on online, we hear a lot about self-care and it's like, take baths, take naps. <laughs> you can only do so much of that. Like I, I'm actually not a very restful person. I'm, I'm very active. I I'm kind of, uh, a lot, I have a lot of energy and it would not work for me to like take a one hour bath <laughs> every day as like self-care. I like to my, my treating myself well means, being exposed to a lot of things. So treating myself well means I'm going to make time to go to a museum. I'm going to make time to walk around my neighborhood and absorb all this interesting inspiration around me. And so it's kind of like, I almost think of myself sometimes, this is kind of funny, but I think of myself as like my own pet (laughs) or like my own, like, oh, what do, what do I want to do? Like, I need to feed myself well. I need to take myself on walks. I need to take myself um, to places that I really like. And just remembering that you are, you are, you know, an animal, a a human body who has a lot of needs and, and being attentive to those needs, I think is like the best thing that you can learn how to do for yourself. Cause then you'll, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess take more pauses in your life and really reflect on what what does my soul or what do I does my body or my mind really need at the moment or at this period of my life, so to yes. speak. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I think yeah. so. I think that's really healthy. I think that's a really good advice. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people out there. They're just they're like um what do you call like a, a rabbit or you know in the in a hamster yes. in a hamster wheel. Just working from morning to evening, just trying to make ends meet. And then, you know, in the weekends is like trying to rest or brunch or whatever. And then, well, that's another seven days gone from your life, you know? Yes. And then you're 10 years later and you think what happened. So, yeah, Yeah. it's to be to be aware of what's happening with yourself. Absolutely. So I'm based in Barcelona, Spain. You lived in Spain, too. Yes. Tell me the story. Why did you move to Spain? Where did you live in Spain? 
Oh my gosh, I love Spain. It's magical. Um, I I've never been to Barcelona. I'm I'm dying to go. I was going to go, but I was staying in Granada, Spain, which is in the south, and it's an incredibly beautiful city, smaller city. Um, and I was there to write my my first book because um, I I was able to quit my job when I got my book deal. I only meant to quit my job for about six months, <laughs> and then I ended up. Uh, having more having more to do with my writing, which was very fortunate. But I quit my job. I thought I can go anywhere in the world to write my book. I'm going to go somewhere like really wanted to go somewhere magical. And so I was kind of I was um, getting ideas from different people. And I would I would get these signs like I'd see that I saw this beautiful mural of these birds flying to Spain. And I thought I'm I'm going to do that. I'm going to be one of those birds. And, and then I heard a lot of things about Granada um, being this, this really like a uh, magical place. It's this blend of different cultures and it's very artistic. And I thought I'm going to go there. So I was staying there uh, for a couple of months and it was so gorgeous. I was taking flamenco classes, which was a really nice way to structure my day. Cause I had to do all of these creative, all this writing, um, but I wanted to take a class every single day. So I, I was learning flamenco. I was learning Spanish. It was just a really special time. Um, and while I was there, I got a really odd disease, um, most likely from, from the water, from food um, of some sort that um, ended up paralyzing most of my body um, for a month. And so I was in the hospital in Granada and then I, um, I had about six months of recovery at home, but that's what cut the trip short. And it's really what started a new chapter of my life. Essentially, I see my life very much in like before and after that time. And so Spain, I have this like immense love for Spain um, it was like not only the place of my sickness, but also the place of my healing. But it's also like a really emotionally charged place because it was I, I went through something so intense there. So I have a lot of mixed mixed memories of it, but it's very special. Yeah, I mean, Granada is an amazing city for all those listening. It's, it's a very beautiful city, uh, which I would recommend and, and anyone to go to. Yes. But what happened? Like, what did what did you learn from being so sick and like having like parts of your body being paralyzed? It must have been extremely frightening. Yes, it was, especially because so much of my identity was in things I could do. And as someone who talks to a lot of people who are productivity experts, <laughs> you probably understand this. You, you identify, people identify um, with things they can do. So for example, at that time I was writing and drawing, That's, that was my career. And I couldn't do that. My hands literally couldn't move. Um, I loved and do love traveling, especially by myself. I'm very independent. And to be told like, you may never travel may not do anything by yourself ever again. You may be completely dependent the rest of your life was so terrifying that didn't end up being true, but that was something I thought was happening. And so 
I couldn't, I was like a human who couldn't do anything. And what it was, it was incredible what I learned about myself, not being able to accomplish anything or produce anything. I was just like a person with no abilities, essentially. And people still loved me and people still supported me and people still I was still able to have really rich conversations. I was still able to experience joy. I was still able to learn things and remember things and even create memories. And so it just really changed my idea of what a productive and valuable life is because I couldn't do anything and I was still having a rich experience of the world. I cannot imagine being paralyzed because I'm I'm a very active person as well, like yourself, you know, like training jujitsu, oh. like doing obstacle races, like I'm a super active person. Yeah. Um, what did you tell yourself? Because it must have been very lonely. I'm just trying to imagine myself being in Granada, far away from my home country, being alone in a hospital bed. People are not speaking my native language. How did you deal with the loneliness? and mm. your your self-talk especially during the first weeks which must have been really hard not well <laughs> I didn't deal with it well it was really 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 lonely oh gosh yeah I what I would do to keep myself um like wanting to keep myself determined I had to keep myself determined because Part of me wanted to just feel so sorry for myself and not even try to mm-hmm. get better. You know, there was, I knew there was a very long road ahead of me and I would have to go to so much physical therapy and learn, like literally learn how to walk again, which like for you, you know, I was a dancer. I, I was very active. It felt so shameful and, and embarrassing, almost like I can't even walk. You know, I mm-hmm. used to dance and now I can't even walk. Um, but I, I had once read a book about people who were really determined to do things to, to like survive some kind of really challenging situation or even like really horrible situation and keeping your mind active is like the number one thing that you can do. So I would, some people like, um, will go through uh, like if they if they speak different languages, they'll like go through all the verbs that they've ever known to keep their their mind active or, you know, like give themselves puzzles or keep their mind like going because that's the that's the thing that's going to help you get to your goal. Yeah. And what I would do because I'm very imaginative and I'm very artistic is to think about like really vivid memories. And so what I would do all day in the hospital is just think about a memory, like walking through the woods in autumn. And I would try to remember that and just keep that really vivid in my mind. And I felt like if I could get through that, then I would be determined to like keep going and keep working really hard. And to this day, like when I'm feeling lazy or when I'm feeling like just not motivated, I'll go through these really vivid memories like swimming in the ocean or learning how to surf or or even or like running really fast and I'll think about that and it actually like does something to my body like it makes me want to work harder it makes me want to yeah. go forward mental strength 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's so important, mental strength. You know, um, your your latest book, My Inner Sky, on embracing day and night and all the times in between, is a very deep book. Why did you decide to write that book? When I was recovering from this illness, it was what what really struck me as surprising and really frustrating is that the healing process was actually more annoying and more challenging than being sick because being sick, you kind of know what's going on. It's like people know how to support you. You only have one job, which is to lie in your hospital bed and be sad. And it's not easy, but it's very straightforward. The healing process takes a lot more grit. It's like a lot more challenging to be in this process where you're not all the way better, but you're still kind of sick and you're getting better and, and no one really knows how to support you um, because you don't even know what's going on in your own self. And I was thinking about how many times in life where we're at kind of in between something. So maybe you're looking for a job, you have a job, but you're looking for a new job, or maybe you really want to become a writer and you're not there yet, or you're, um, or maybe you just broke up with someone, you're not ready to be in a relationship, but you're kind of in this in-between place. And I was thinking that these transitions are really challenging for us because we want to be here or there. We don't want to be in the in-between. And so I wanted to write a book full of in-between moments, like any time that I've been like not really here or there. And I wanted to give people stories that, um, could serve as uh, comfort for those times when you're in between, you're in a transition and maybe you feel lonely because everyone's asking you like, did you get a job yet? Or are you going to start dating yet? And you're like, no, I'm, I'm in my, my weird little confused time. And for me, that was like most of my twenties feeling like I am in the biggest transition, like 10 year transition. So, um, yeah, I wrote those stories to really connect with people during those times that are not so easy to define. Yeah. I mean, the, the book, there's a lot of life lessons as well. Fika would rise. It's about life lessons. And I feel like your latest book is a lot about life lessons. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all the, those are all the things I've learned (laughs) the past few years. Which is the most important life lesson you wish every 20-year-old would know? Gosh, being 20 is so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. That's why I'm asking. (laughs) There's a lot of 20-year-olds in the audience, you know? (laughs) It's so hard. It's hard because you're, you're young, but you're the oldest you've ever been. So you're exactly. Well, yeah. So you're, you're old for being young. That's a, that's how I felt a lot in my twenties is like, I know I'm still young, but I'm like old for being young. So even, I remember even when I was like 23, which is objectively young, I thought I'm too old to start something new. I'm too old to change my mind. And I think the, the gift of being 20 is that you actually do have so much time to explore and experiment. And I don't mean like traveling the world. I mean, like you can try different jobs if that's available to you. You can even try different music genres. You can try to, there's really small ways you can do this. You can try cooking dinner for yourself. And so I would tell a 20 something, don't, focus on figuring out something, 
focus on exploring. Like instead of trying to find answers, try to find your questions. Like this is not a time for you to have anything figured out because even if you're getting pressure from other people, they don't really care. It's not their life. It's your life. Yeah. And I spent so much time in my twenties trying to have an answer, trying to have, I'm going to, you know, have this figured out. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had spent more time letting myself say, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing, or I don't know what this job is going to turn into. I don't know what I'm going to do with this hobby, but I'm curious. And I think reframing having answers to being curious is, is the way that a 20, a young 20 something can embrace their youth instead of trying to beat it, <laughs> trying to get to I the love that. <laughs> I love that reframing perspective because I think a lot of young people, 20 year olds lack a lot of perspective, you know, like a lot. Of, oh, I mean, there's a lot of 30 year olds that lack perspective, but yes. there's a lot more <laughs> 20 year olds that lack perspective. And, but Asking the right questions, I love that. And trying to like discover life rather than like forcing yourself on things. But the truth is a lot of young people, there's a lot of 20 year olds that deal with anxiety and social pressure. You spoke a little bit about that in just earlier now from parents, from family, from well, uh, college debt. Um, well, you need to go back, you need to get a full-time job, start to pay off that debt and so on. And also comparing yourself to others, like yeah. classmates who has like amazing jobs. Um, for people that are dealing with this type of social anxiety, whatever you want to call it, Marie, yeah. you've gone through a lot. What would you tell them? Oh, that's so hard. I've always really struggled with comparison and outside pressures. Sorry. <laughs> I've always really um, (laughs) I've always really um, struggled with comparison and outside pressures because that's all you really have to gauge yourself right it's like am I as good as her at this or does he have a better job Um, it's difficult when you're young you don't have a guide you don't have a map You don't have a a book, a book to tell you, you know, how to get through life. And so what you're doing is looking at everyone else saying, I'm going to use other people to show me where I should be right now. And the problem with that is that everyone is so, so different. And I think that's something you learn as you get older. Your parents are different. Society has different ideas for what's important. So something that I try to think about when I'm comparing myself or when I'm hearing those pressures is we think of life sometimes as like a mountain or a ladder, like you're going to this step, you're getting a little higher and then you're at this step and everyone needs to reach the top of the mountain. Like we're all going to the same place and we all need to reach these milestones. And that's really unhealthy because everyone's different. Everyone has priorities, different metrics of success. So what I think of instead of like a linear life of like step one, step two, step three, I think about it as like, oh, I'm in Zimbabwe right now. And this person's in Antarctica. So they're going to need different things. They're going to need a coat. I'm going to need some water. I'm going to need different clothes. I'm going to have different priorities. So instead of thinking about it as like 
as a linear movement in life. It's like, you're just scattered in different places. So someone, someone who's in a different country, someone who's in the desert is going to have different needs than someone who's in the forest. And you're just in different areas. You're not in different, um, rungs of the ladder. So it's not about moving forward. It's kind of about moving like around and seeing, oh, this works for me. This doesn't work for me, but there's no, there's no one ahead of you. They're just in a different place. Like I think that's a great way to see it. Again, we go back to perspective, right? Yes. I think perspective, like that, that deals that, that solves a lot of anxiety and negative self-talk per se. Exactly. Well, it's really important, I think, and this isn't something a lot of, um, when you're young, it's harder to do this, but to really think about what are your metrics of success? Because they're different for everyone else. If your goal is to get a certain number of Instagram followers, that's fine, but that's that might not be someone else's goal. And if you think about what makes you feel successful, um, you know, you're going to do different things or you're going to prioritize different things and to be clear about what your metrics of success are, um, whether it's to have a really nice community or a a home that reflects who you are, beautiful travels or a certain salary, whatever it is, being clear about what is important to me is going to help you not compare yourself so much to other people, I think. I think so. I love that being clear on really how does success or how does whatever look like for you so you you're not just like looking at others i love also the <clears throat> the the ladder um, perspective that you were sharing before that life is not just a ladder it's actually it's not a linear it's actually very irregular life you know <laughs> Yeah, I was just thinking before I started talking to you how um how flipped my life has been in so many ways. Like, like I feel like when I was younger, when I was um a child and teenager, I was actually so much wiser than I am now. I kind of flipped myself. Like I, I think I learned. And you've been bottom. Oh my gosh! I um, it's like I, it's like I was wise about about kind of these high level things when I was young, but I didn't learn about how to kind of be in the world, like how to make friends until I was older. And a lot of people, when they're young, they're really good at making friends. And then they have to figure out these other things when they're older. So we're all on different times. It's not, we're not going in a straight line. We're, we're all over the place. And that's beautiful. Yes. I mean, you speak a lot about living in a moment as well in the book. And there are so many inspirational quotes uh, online on Instagram and so on. But so it's really hard. Sometimes also I remind myself too, like, okay, Freddie, live in the moment. But what does that exactly mean to you? What does like living in a moment mean to you? It's so hard for me because I have anxiety. I have very bad anxiety. I'm always in the past or the future. <laughs> I'm never, I'm never here. I'm anywhere but here a lot of the time. And um, what I've been learning is that my attention is very valuable. You know, like we talk a lot about um, like your phone and social media. They want your attention. It's extremely mm. valuable. It's a, it's makes a lot of money. It makes people a lot of money when you pay to certain things. 
And I've just been thinking so much in terms of my attention is my greatest resource. Like I am, I am wealthy in attention and I don't want to spend it on the wrong things. So with anxiety, I'm very often thinking about five years from now or something I did 10 years ago or an embarrassing thing that happened yesterday or whatever. And so I'm very, very often have to remind myself to pay attention to what is happening around me. And a lot of times that is in a very physical sense. It's like, what is, what is the thing that I can fall in love with in this moment? What is the, um, and it doesn't mean I have to feel happy or euphoric. It's just like, what can I love? What can I like put my tenderness toward? What can I Mm -hmm myself to that's going to um you know remind me to stay right here because this is all we have and it's so easy for me to think about what's missing or what's what could be better or what what I want next in my life like kind of looking outward to grab grabbing (laughs) you know grabbing what what could what could be but that's not real what's real is is right here so Um, I often think about like being attentive to the world. You kind of have to fall in love with it. You have to think like, what is beautiful about this, you know, like subway ride or what is beautiful about this ugly industrial street? What is, what is beautiful to me about right now? What is beautiful about this tea and kind of like learn to turn your attention towards these, these things that are right here, just so that you can remember like, it's all here. This is where it's, I am. This is all I've got. <laughs> it's right here. I love the uh, the subway anecdote because I I cycle, I bicycle to everywhere in Barcelona, wherever I'm going. I love to to bicycle and cycle. And oh, if nice. I'm going to a place, I'm always going to whether that's the office or favorite cafe, or whatever. I one trick that I like to do is to try to find a new thing that I didn't notice. Oh. That, that's a pretty cool way, right? Because then that's you're forced crazy. to like, then you're not like, okay, today I need to do this, then I need to do that, and then I need to go there. But if you're like looking up and you're like, okay, let's try to play this game. Let's try to find like one thing I haven't seen before. I think that's a pretty cool way to, to stay present, you know, and live really in the moment. I love that. I love that. I give myself a lot of little games <laughs> throughout the day. So I, I really resonate with that. That's beautiful. We have to do what we have to do, right? Exactly. Marie. Exactly. Why should someone buy your latest book, My Inner Sky, Marie? What's the impact one can expect from reading it? Well, I don't know. I don't know what someone will will take away from a book because everyone is different and gets different things from art, but I will say the reason why I wrote it is because I have such a, so much compassion for lonely people. I spent a lot of my life feeling really lonely, feeling really different, feeling like I just couldn't figure out the world. I I felt like, wow, everyone's got it figured out and I'm, something is wrong with me. There's a glitch or something isn't quite right. Um, sometimes I, I felt like if there's like this factory and everything is made like perfectly, I'm the one that was like, not made perfectly. I'm the one that's like, oh, something's wrong with that, with that, whatever it is on the conveyor belt. 
And I didn't realize for a long time how many things I didn't like about myself were the things that were the most special or, you know, would, would eventually lead me to my career and lead me to my best friends and lead me to experiences that are so wonderful for me. Um, and so what I hope, what I thought about when I was writing, I was very intent. Like, I felt like I am really trying to speak to lonely people. I'm trying to speak to people who feel like they might be a little too sensitive for the world, or they might be a little too over analytical, or maybe they feel like they're just not getting it right. Like they try and try and try, and they're just not getting it right. And that's who I wanted to speak to. And so, um, I don't know what people get from the book, but that's what I wanted is to, for people to feel less alone who kind of had this feeling of like, oh, I'm trying and trying and it's just not working. Like, when am I going to feel like I've made it? <laughs> when am I going to feel like at home in the world? Because um, I felt like that for so long. Thank you uh, very much, Marie. Where can people find you to learn more about you online? Um, my website is bymarieandrew.com and I'm on Instagram at bymarieandrew. Thank you. And for those listening out there, Check out the latest book by Marie Mainersky on embracing day and night and all the times in between. Very, very deep book. Highly recommended on Amazon or wherever you're typically buying your books. And Marie, it's been a pleasure. I loved the, the deep talk that we had. And uh, I'm sure our audience, had, they learned a lot from today's talk. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Marie. A lot of gratitude for listening to Fika with Bryce. I really mean that. If you like the show, I would love if you can leave us a five-star review, whatever you're listening to your podcast. It helps us so much to get the word out there to other listeners. If you have any questions or any feedback, I would love to hear from you. I'm just a DM away on Instagram or TikTok at Freddy Van Hun. So looking forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you so much.